Hello, hello. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever it is you're listening to this, I'm David Lee Kim, co-founder of Omniscient Digital, and you're listening to The Long Game. In this episode, we chat with Michelle Don Durbin, the Senior Vice President of Marketing at Evernote. In this conversation, we talk about how Michelle ended up at Evernote after spending time with the early teams at eBay and Skype. She joined Evernote during a time when product innovation was on pause and shares how she thought about her role as a product marketer during that turnaround. Out of that turnaround, she successfully led the go-to-market and repackaging for the product relaunch, and she shares clear examples of how they kept things simple and simply listened to the customer. You wouldn't guess it, but one of the ideas they had was inspired by Lord of the Rings. She also shares her experience leading such a pivotal initiative during COVID while being a mother of two and the concept of parenting loudly. There are a ton of great learnings in this conversation and I think you'll really enjoy it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Michelle Dondurbin. Michelle, it's so great to have you on The Long Game. Thank you so much for making the time. Thank you, David. I'm really looking forward to this. Great. Yeah, myself as well. So we're going to jump straight into it. You were responsible for taking Evernote's kind of rebuilt set of apps to the global market. But before we get into that, how did you end up at Evernote? I know you had some stints at eBay and Skype. Feel free to go back as far as you'd like to explain the series of events that got you to Evernote. Wow. Well, actually, Skype is the series of events that got me to Evernote. Um, I was at eBay and it's, you know, we're talking quite some time ago. Um, And back when I was at eBay, it was still early days. We were under Meg Whitman's leadership and she was quite a force to be reckoned with. Um, I was relatively green at my job. The company was being guided by values such as people are basically good, right? And everything we did there was linked to the outcome. So there was no squishy marketing. So what a place to to really grow up professionally. Uh, And it's one of those times where you're in it and it's exciting and you're around such smart, interesting people. It's a global company. Um, your managers are fantastic, and you don't really know that that is a gift. Yeah, it sounds like a perfect place to grow. Mm-hmm. It was, and um, and eBay at the time was was remarkable in terms of really being focused on your professional growth. At least that was that was certainly my experience. I had some very very excellent managers, and they would they were very interested in in helping the 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 less experienced employees develop. And so when when Skype was bought by eBay, they had an initiative to incorporate Skype into the platform. Uh, I don't think they had a a full sense of how Skype would be used by either the eBay community or the, the sellers or even the buyers, but they knew that there was something in Skype that that the United States actually hadn't really understood yet. This was before Skype even had video calling. Um, And so they tapped me, I was already in an international role, and they tapped me to help make sure that Skype had a presence throughout all of the global sites. And 
we did that, did it quickly, did it pretty well, made sure we had a lot of things. And sure enough, they decided they would open a U.S. office under the leadership of a more seasoned leader. And they were going to have about, we had about 13 people who came over to Skype um, or were hired in uh, to run all of Skype Americas. And that was, that was even more special than my time at eBay, right? Um, We got to be so creative. Uh, We were responsible for the very first subscription calling plans. Um, yeah, Skype was the original company that did that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the, and the Americas team, we are the ones who did it. We had an unlimited calling plan for the U.S. to call any U.S. landline or mobile in the U.S. or Canada for I I I want to say it was like two dollars and ninety nine cents a month. Like it was outrageously cheap. And the reason that came about was because we exploited an overlooked difference that our European headquarters had missed because they're European. And that was in the U.S., we were already experiencing this unlimited calling with mobile phones. Our plans were unlimited. And in Europe, they were not. You were still getting charged pay per minute. And that was their entire model. And so we brought sort of this idea of a subscription plan, which is what American customers were used to, to Skype. And that just took off. Um, And then, of course, the other big first we did at Skype was uh, the first sponsored placement. So when video calling came out, we were approached by the Oprah Winfrey show and she was going to be doing this, uh, the largest online uh, schoolroom classroom to go over one of her. Sorry, interrupt. how did Oprah end up reaching out? It's a good question, right? <laughs> and it, it's one of the things where it just matters to be in the right place at the right time sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Uh, basically, someone on her production staff had studied abroad in Europe and had gotten to know Skype in Europe. And because they were here in the U.S., they still talked with their friends in Europe using Skype. And when Oprah said, I need a way to let call- people around the country call into me and discuss the chapters of this book for this book club that she was doing, how are we going to do that? And this person said, oh, well, you know, there's this thing, video calling that Skype does. So we could make it a visual element for the show. And she was like, go talk to them. I love that serendipity. There's no way you could have orchestrated that happening. Never. And you know what it did? It really meant, it, it was the brilliance of Don Albert, our GM at the time, to recognize it because it wasn't cheap. And Skype had never done anything like this before. And we said, look, in the US, nobody really knows about Skype, except if they are an expat or they've been overseas. Um, We're trying to get the brand built. Video calling is really nascent, but it's spectacularly good on Skype. And Oprah Winfrey is the right person to show regular people in America that video calling is not futuristic, that it's now right? That it doesn't have to be something in the future, that you don't have to clean your whole house to be on a video call, that it really can be a a connection building tool. I have to ask, you you were working on Skype in the early days when video calling wasn't a thing. And here we are many years later, everyone on Zoom, like even my parents know how to use Zoom. How does that make you feel? I mean, you got to see the evolution of that sort of adoption of technology. Um, so 
So here's the thing, right? Skype engineers are some of the smartest people I ever worked with. And they were dedicated to quality. And that quality, when you think back, right? Think 15 years ago, the bandwidth we had was just non-existent, right? Um, and so having Skype as a client that you install and download to your laptop, and then you add people into that client, and that way you can call them and talk to them, there were hurdles there, right? It's everything is new. Everything is 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 just starting to be adopted. And there was a point in time, I want to say right before, right after Skype was bought by Microsoft, um, where we had an internal team who was trying to build a web version of Skype, right? Where everybody could have their own, like you would have your own David Kim Skype link and you could send it out to your parents and they would just click it and it could start a video call with you. And it was so fundamentally different from the way Skype had been built and been concepted. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know where it went, where that idea went, but I think Zoom basically capitalized on that lack of simplicity that you need with a simple web link that somebody can click. Yeah. And so uh, you went from eBay to Skype, and then how did how did that take you to Evernote? Well, so in this process at Skype, I ended up working with someone uh, who had been brought in during one of the, you know, sell to, buy from, sell to <laughs> periods. And so years later, he's working at Evernote. He's really trying to, he's running marketing and he's really trying to, to have more influence on the product side of the house. And so he needed somebody that he could trust to, to come in and run marketing. And so he basically called me up and said, I just need someone to come in. Our marketing team is a little lost. I made some bad hires maybe. And uh, now I'd really like uh, to, to get this machine working again. And I had recently um, really elevated the brand profile and um, taken this background check company that I was at uh, up market from small mom and pop solopreneurs into more of a mid-market type of enterprise customer. And I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. This is a good time for me to for me to leave. And so I went over and I decided I would work for him. And uh, and that's how I ended up at Evernote. Yeah. So I, I want to dig into your experience at Evernote. I'm gonna before we do that, I'm gonna take it out a little bit further. Okay. I'm looking at your background, says <laughs> Japan. And I know you studied, you had been studying in Japan and France and Germany. You studied international relations and economics. It did. Tell us that story. How'd you end up in marketing? <laughs> How does anyone end up in marketing? Really? Um, That's why I love asking this. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I I love. I love stepping outside of my comfort zone, truly. Uh, And the way that I discovered I could do that when I was young was to explore other cultures, other languages, other people, places where I don't look like everybody else around me, places where I don't sound like everybody else around me. Um, And so international relations was a very clear winner for me. Uh, And I think 
you know, it just guided me in terms of the type of company that I wanted to look for, right? I was always looking for a more global presence, a, a, a place where, you know, any company, I was very, very interested in, in what they were doing in the world and their footprint. Um, but the reality is uh, I ended up in marketing just through experience. Uh, I'm a born strategist and project manager, right? So like, give me a task list, tell me what, you know, some future vision is, and I will be able to craft that strategy to get us there and implement that at the same time. And that's where I started my career, really. I mean, my first job in high tech was managing the websites and how we were going to manage the very first uh, company to aggregate insurance quotes and let you get Mm -hmm. different insurance quotes from different companies and on one place. That was brand new. It sounds time. very familiar. Yeah. Right. And then, um, and then when I went to eBay, it was to run the developers program. You know, they they had thirteen developers, uh, and they needed to see what they could do to make it grow. And so that was my job. Um, and so I just kept getting more and more attracted to how we're going to, um, you know, set a strategy, conceive a vision, and then get us there. And then it was a, a relatively natural um, evolution because you just find yourself supporting the brand or supporting the communications that get the word out and supporting how you um, how you communicate that through language and through visual um, elements. And I think that's how it happened. I mean, if you ask my dad, who's a mathematician, <laughs> uh, and where I suffered through math classes forever. Um, in high school, I will say I went into marketing because it was full of pretty pictures and no math. But as we all know, marketing is full of math. <laughs> so it's a lot of numbers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work out very well. No, it did so, not. <laughs> what was the original plan with the international relations degree? Did you ever have a, a, a plan of going into policy or anything like that? I'm curious if that, that ever you know, crossed your I'm mind. Far- too transparent with no poker face to actually be a politician. There's just no way that was ever going to happen. I pretty much figured I would live overseas and find some job. And I did, right? I studied abroad in Paris. I lived in Germany. I still am in contact with the people that I lived in in Germany. And I I actually lived in Japan for a time as well. Um, But in the end, you know, I ended up back in the U.S. and working again for a global company. Yeah, I love it. Well, thanks for thanks for sharing all of that. I love getting to hear that sort of background. So let's let's get to Evernote. Um, okay. I, so I previously was a user of Evernote. I loved it, and I'm using a past tense, so you can probably see where I'm going. I loved it. All my friends loved it. I was just talking to one of my friends and told him I'm going to be interviewing you, and he was like, "Oh, what happened to Evernote?" Uh, so we we clearly kind of moved. We were part of that cohort that moved on to other tools, mm-hmm. and you know, we were talking about this earlier. How there was sort of a period where product development kind of paused for Evernote. There was a replatforming going on. And what I wanted to hear about you is, you know, the replatforming was going on and you joined as, you know, the VP of marketing. I imagine that had some challenges for the go-to-market and then the story you were telling publicly. Curious when you jumped in, like, how did you think about that whole situation? I've never done a turnaround before. So, you know, what was the first uh, order? What's the order of operations for all that? How did you go about that? Well, I, I don't actually, in the way that you've asked the question, I don't think that I can take credit for very much. <laughs> so um, when I actually joined Evernote, uh, we were under different leadership, mm-hmm. uh, the last CEO prior to Ian Small. Um, and 
my job was to help. Well, basically, I got hired to run um, marketing, all of the demand gen, the go-to-markets, um, a lot of acquisition uh, around that because they were on a path to go and support teams and collaboration. And they were looking for small businesses, probably 500 and fewer um, that could use Evernote within an organization. And there was really good data to back up this strategy. And that was that, you know, 85% of the people who paid for Evernote were using it at work already. And we had such a large fan base. People were, were crazy about it. And somebody like me who might have a small team of 30 people could come in and say to a company where, you know, your IT is, is an organization, but maybe you don't have as many controls or rules about what type of software you can use. And I could just go over to my IT manager and say, hey, I'd like to use Evernote. I'd like to use it for my, my team. Can you go get this set up for me? And that would just happen, right? Uh, about a year in, uh, there was a pretty big shakeup. There's, you know, there was press around, um, you know, sort of what was going on. And Ian Small was brought in by the board and he is really remarkable. And I think he's responsible for the, the trajectory that we're on now. Um, and that is um, primarily because he came in and he really did a lot of listening. And what he heard was uh, this pent up need, right? Yes, there are teams that absolutely need Evernote, but there are still, you know, millions upon millions of individuals like yourself who are using it and just haven't seen innovation come out of it. And it's, it's got, it's beyond this, this note-taking original function and people were really using it for knowledge management. And then they were finding workarounds to really get into personal productivity. And the tool wasn't necessarily helping them deliberately with things that would help them with productivity. They were developing their own workflows. They were developing their own systems. And that all came back to our technical debt. It just hadn't kept pace, right? Every company, every SaaS company needs to con continually figure out how they're going to readapt their technology and make sure that it's staying current so that they can release things quickly and of quality. And that was the path that Ian said. Absolutely, teams are important. Absolutely, our individual users are important. But first, we need to take a pause. We need to replatform this so that we can build things that you want and do it quickly and do it with quality. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear. So then I guess from, from your standpoint, as the replatform was happening and you know, there wasn't much new uh, innovation maybe on the front end of things that people could actually see, how did you go about kind of telling the story of how Evernote was evolving publicly? Mm -hmm. I think you had mentioned previously a, a behind, behind the scenes series. Yeah, I mean, for a marketer, for a go-to-market, a product marketing team, right? Even for a comms team, like having a period of a year and a half where the only releases going out are really ones to fix bugs and not really drive innovation. How do you, how do you connect? How do you stay connected with your customers? And how do you bring them along? 
And um, actually, Ian got an email from one of our Evernote customers, and he said, hey, you remember Lord of the Rings? They did this fantastic behind-the-scenes um, series, uh, and it was so fun to watch. You guys should consider that for Evernote. And so Ian and I got together, and we said, why wouldn't we do this? That's actually a really cool idea. Let's try it. And I remember... Um, That's amazing. Yeah, yeah right? I mean... It, it goes to a, a, a persistent, you can see the same theme, which is we're always listening. We're always listening to our customers. Yeah. This is a product marketer and as a CEO, that's the best thing that you can do, right? Is really put them front and center. Um, and uh, I remember the very first one, Ian basically just got on screen and for maybe a minute talked about why he was going to do this, what it was going to be, etc. And one of the, we had a, we had a disgruntled set of customers at the time, right? They, they, like you said, there hadn't been a lot of innovation. They weren't seeing for individuals. They hadn't been seeing a lot of changes that they wanted and, and what have you. And I remember one of the first comments was something like, oh, he looks like a mid-level manager at Costco or something like that. Oh, man. But, oh, rude, you know? <laughs> but in fact... We consistently put out these videos. We let people know. We showed them mock-ups that were still on printed pages. They weren't even demos, right? They hadn't been built into the app. We took them along from both infrastructure and what we were doing underneath the hood and also showing them some of the UI and how we were, how we were rebuilding things. And very, very quickly, all of that sentiment changed, right? Yeah. I'd like What's you that? to do when you're sitting on an airplane and it's delayed and you just want to know what's happening. Mm -hmm. And if the pilot doesn't say anything, you get angrier and angrier. And yeah. then if the pilot comes on and she says, Hey, sorry, we're, we're delayed. We're fixing the door. <laughs> you're like, Oh, good. Yeah. Just do that. Keep doing yeah, Please that. do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that is a great analogy. I'm going to start using that moving forward. Uh, just communication is everything. Even if it's not good news, some news to keep folks updated is, is great. Yeah. And yeah, that's, it's another situation where just serendipity is what resulted in a great idea there. Just some random customer emailing you about a Lord of the Rings behind a scenes series. I love it. But I think you would find that that probably happens more often than we realize. And it's really about listening. Right. Mm -hmm. Not and writing so, it off. Right. Not, writing it off, yeah. not just sort of ignoring everything that comes into your personal LinkedIn account or what have mm -hmm. you. Yeah. And so uh, tell us about this repackaging effort that you and your team drove. I imagine with that came a lot of pricing and packaging changes and lots of new fun announcements. You know, um, once we had launched uh, the new apps, and you know, get them all out, get everybody propagated on them. The next thing that we were doing was the innovation, right? We very quickly followed with the home redesign and the widgets. We uh, were in, introduced tasks into beta, and we had other things under the hood that we weren't talking about publicly, right? But that were coming. And repackaging was actually a, a multi-year effort. Um, when I joined back in 2018, there was a lot of um, what do you call it? Like company-wide gospel, right? You or dogma, even you. You know, we were. I think you could say we were the original like PLG company, right? Because of our oh, yeah, hundred percent. 
huge growth off of that. Um, but nobody inside ever talked about money. They never talked about converting people. Um, it was really this fundamental idea that, well, you know, people just need lots of features and then they start using those features. And if they use those features, then they're going to pay us but out of the goodness of their heart, I guess. Um, and so that, that didn't really sit well with me as a product marketing yeah. lead. Um, and the other piece of Dogma was uh, that you people used Evernote, and this is absolutely true and self-reported in, in survey after survey, uh, for both work and home, right? But we had one single paid product, Evernote Premium. And, you know, I was sort of thinking, but if you use it at work, there's an urgency, right? You have deadlines, you have a boss, you have quarterly reviews, you have meetings after meetings after meetings. And as a parent, as a, as you know, I have a family at home, I am much more likely to just get by, right? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, that's right. Do I really need an app to track my kids' doctor's appointments or the school meetings? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. I'm doing okay as it is. And so we really felt that there was a, a differentiation we could create between a individual user um, using Evernote for a, a home scenario and an individual user who really wants to use Evernote at work. And probably our roadmap would support differentiated features. Um, and so when you undertake something like pricing and repackaging, right, the first thing you need to know is like, what are you going to do? Like, what, how are customers going to react? What are the things that they really need? And so we started with so much uh, so, uh, so, so much audience work, right? Mm -hmm. The research, qual, we did it at qual qualitative studies, yeah. right? Where we interviewed hundreds of people in different com countries, whether there are existing customers, maybe they used to use Evernote, maybe they've never even heard of Evernote, right? Uh, we did user testing of mock-ups based on what we had heard and, and what we knew was on the roadmap. We um, then developed this massive quantitative survey that we sent out to all sorts of different target um, segments and brought it back and really took a look and were able to say, we believe that there is differentiation through features within our product line. And this was going to be really important because our free product is so robust. You can Very generous. Do, right? You can be on Evernote for years and never find a need to pay us. Yeah, I, I, I was on Evernote for years and it, I only started paying because it limited the number of devices I could sync. And That's at that right. point, that was my, the start of our my brain was there. Yeah, and I had to pay. <laughs> That's right. So why would that be the only thing? Like we used to say the biggest competitor to Evernote Premium is Evernote Free. Because, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, and so... We found a way, right? We found a way to redo all of the messaging so that we could be very, very clear so that when you come to Evernote and you wonder, well, should Evernote Personal be my fit? Should Evernote Professional be my fit? Do I need Evernote Free? You know, it's clear now. There are differentiations between the products and you can see what you're getting and you can see why we've built it that way. And we're going to continue to build these out, right? Um, we... I think the other thing that we did once this worked out and we really saw the, the ability for us to do this and, and sort of had modeled what the impact would be to our bottom line, 
Um, we made the transition for our existing users really wonderful. Okay. And, and by this, I mean tons of over-communication, right? We absolutely had pre-coms. We were explaining exactly what was happening for you specifically and the type of customer you were for Evernote. We had public help and learning articles. So you could see what was happening. We weren't necessarily telling you exactly what was going to be in the new plans or what the names in the new plans were, but we were clear enough that you could know what was going to happen come launch day. And then the way we planned it is um, anyone who was paying us full price for premium, right? We simply automatically converted them to the commensurate tier, which meant for no extra cost, they got a whole suite of brand new functionality, right? They didn't have to do anything. Wow. So what they've been waiting for for years and years, right? All this innovation and everything else, they just downloaded the new app, kept paying the same amount, and suddenly they had tasks, right? They had a calendar integration. They had like multiple widgets on their home dashboard, including the filtered notes widget and all of these really neat things, right? Um, we didn't, the people who were paying us what we'll call legacy pricing. So some, you know, mm -hmm. we had different price increases of some of our legacy plans over the years. We just let, let them be. If they felt that they were paying a fair price for the set of functionality that they were getting for that price, we did not see a need to force them into a higher price tier. We made it easy for them to wow. upgrade should they want that, but we didn't force them into it at all. And then thirdly, we took nothing away from pre-customers. I love, I love that approach to making it as easy as possible for them. I've gotten emails about other software changing their pricing and, hey, you're going to be losing access to XYZ. You're still going to pay the same amount or require some action where I need to go look at their pricing matrix. I love that that you made it so easy for them. It was, it was honestly, it was like the quietest, most loveliest go-to-market I've ever done. <laughs> quiet in terms of complaints, right? Or in terms yeah. of support tickets. Yeah. And so it, it sounds like a lot of that made sense. You did the qual, you did the quant, you saw those very clear patterns. What was the most contentious part of that whole repackaging effort? The names, the names <laughs> of the new packages. <laughs> because you know, at the end of the day, everybody's a marketer. Everyone has an opinion buy, on that, yeah. And so we all have an opinion. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Well, it, I'm glad it was the names and not, not something else. We did that. I mean, you know, you and I were talking about this a little bit before we started, which is, you know, it's really crucial that you are telling the truth with your teams, right? Mm -hmm. With your own organization. And um, telling the truth by dumping a bunch of data on somebody will have one effect. But telling the truth by creating the context around it and pointing back to the proof points you know, we did a ton of testing, right? Mm -hmm. We did so much testing. Um, we tested all sorts of variations for the names. And in the end, the cleanest, most well-understood naming was free, personal, and professional and teams, right? And that was it. And even if you don't really love Evernote personal and you think I'm going to use Evernote personal at work so it doesn't really fit, like that's okay. But that was what the majority of people understood. And it made it really easy for us to just sort of show them. I know you don't personally love it, but this is what it what everybody else thinks. 
really a masterclass in simplifying your message for customers and speaking their language and not overcomplicating things. That's right. I love, I love to keep things simple, <laughs> really. Yeah. And so what let's get to today. What are you focused on at Evernote now? What's what's the next milestone that y'all are focused on? Well, at the moment, like company-wide, we now that we have a new replatform, we continue to carve out a certain set of our efforts to continually improving quality and making sure that this is the best Evernote that you could ever have, right? Avoiding tech debt, no more replatforming. That's right. That's right. <laughs> no, it's a massive undertaking. Evernote's a 15-year-old company. So, you know, even at the launch of the new apps, even at the launch of repackaging, there are still other pieces that still need a little bit of coaxing over, we'll say, right, off of older systems. And so that stuff gets better and better every day. Um, and then we we have a bunch of work underway to build out more innovation, right? We went from the original note-taking tool and we became sort of this personal knowledge management system that mm. millions of people were using. And we are headed into personal productivity. And there's not really a clear category for that yet, right? There's so many different ways to think about personal productivity. And um, and then we still, of course, have our team's product. So there's a lot of work that we can do to continue to push the envelope uh, there in terms of innovation. Yeah. How do you think about these newcomers like Coda, Notion? There's Rome research that I've been hearing about, but seems way too complicated for me. And I think Obsidian is another one. Those seem a bit more, maybe a little bit more intense for folks who want that level of intricacy. But how do you think about those? We actually think about them really well. Uh, honestly, it, the 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 range and breadth of competitors that we could compare ourselves with is is pretty big, from the the Google Suites and OneNote, right. Microsoft Suites of the world, down to the smallest note taking app, right? Um, and so it really helps us, one, validate that there is absolutely a market here. There is a big opportunity here um, in this kind of space. And also, too, like, you know, there are so many different types of people. I mean, we at Evernote have distinct six personas um, that we've identified. Um, someone like Notion, you know, they're really looking to be uh, a, a, an office tool right? For teams. Yeah. And we are still focused on individuals. We have the team's product. It's sort of swapped for them and us, ah, right? Interesting. Yeah. Um, and so absolutely, like we, we want them to succeed. We want them to be able to be a good tool that people use and we want to succeed as well. And I think there's room at the moment for all of us because um, some of these personas are real productivity wonks, right? They just love it. They want to be organized. They want to oh, do yeah. everything themselves. And, and some of these more complicated tools like Notion, you know, really flex, super flexible and let you do anything you could possibly want. You really have to put a lot of work into it, right? And then there are tools that um, we call them hopeful hollies. And, uh, and they're the ones who really want to be more productive, really would love to feel a lot more organized, but maybe need a little extra help. And that's, that's where we want to sit, right? We want to help. We want to be your helper. We have a partner in whatever the process is that you, works best for you. So we're very customizable, right? You can really do what you want with Evernote, but you also don't have to do it. You, we can help you do it with the ways that we're building our products today. 
Yeah. Uh, once again, I love the clarity here. You've, you've pointed out the different personas and you're saying, hey, we serve teams, we serve enterprises, we can serve the very intense productivity nerds, but we're not focused on those folks. Yeah. And I mean, I think that clarity makes that, right? Yeah. And we want to make them happy and we want to do really neat things for them. But I think my research shows there's a lot more people who just wish they were more productive. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> yeah. That are willing to set up an entire workflow around productivity. And I'll just, you know, I definitely have a weekly note that I use that every day I have at least three things that I know I have to get done. And I have shown this system to my husband and he is a lost cause. Yeah. <laughs> so he yeah, needs a little bit more help. I've shown my productivity system because I, I think I lean more on the productivity nerd side um, to friends who want to be more productive. And it's, it's always just over their head. Um, they yep. just need they just need a piece of paper and write down what they need to do and they're good. And that's that's where I, I really love. I love the idea that we will help those people, right? And my husband is now using Evernote. No problem. It's great. <laughs> it's fantastic, right? On a free, free tier? No, actually. I did want to call out one thing. I was looking at the Evernote website and I saw that you have discords. So there's tools for thought and the productivists. Are those community led? Is that something that you have someone internally running? It seems like a more. Actually, this is a really interesting story. So we, um, years ago, we had a, a very seasoned, talented community manager who built out an Evernote community. And this community was for certified consultants and and many people went and started their own communities and loved Evernote so much that they wanted to teach other people how to use Evernote to be uh, productive. And there were a few years in there where, um, you know, after he left and other people were running the program, it, we hadn't really found our legs. (coughs) Excuse me. And part of that was we were sort of in this, wait and see period, waiting for the replatforming, what was going to happen, et cetera. Um, and we recently uh, hired a new community manager. We actually stole her over from the, our customer support team, which oh. is fantastic. Um, and so she thinks like a customer and she knows what that's about. And we really have done a lot to try to, um, you know, re-engage them and show them how, how truly important they are. One of the things that we that we did in our revamp of our community, which is now the Evernote experts, is we sought out community-led groups and we are actively promoting them. Um, You know, we want to be in the business of working with our experts and the people who are most committed to Evernote and are interested in, you know, helping other people learn about Evernote. And that's where we'll focus. And then we want to give them the tools that they need and the resources that they need to be successful within their own communities. Yeah. So instead of coming in and swooping in, trying to start controlling what's being said and all that, you're saying, hey, keep doing what you're doing. We love it. Mm-hmm. Let us promote you. Like, how, what support do you need to provide more materials to your audience and community? That is absolutely it. And we uh, we have a form where you can submit your Evernote group on the website. We have a training that is free for Evernote experts to become a certified expert. Uh, We do monthly webinars. We get people, uh, our experts get to talk directly with our product managers, right? Um, And ask questions. We we are trying to really help them uh, provide feedback for us, but also be successful within their own organizations. 
Yeah, it seems like when when I think of the Evernote story, Evernote was the first for a lot of different things, like being that note web-based note-taking app, doing freemium product-led growth, doing this community-based, uh, essentially community-based marketing, which is yeah. there's a lot of hype around right now. So it's very uh, interesting to see how Evernote evolves and starts leveling up a lot of those uh, channels. That's right. And uh, I know I know we're coming up on time here. So maybe one last uh, topic we can get to is you you mentioned earlier your mother. What has it been like, uh, you know, during one during COVID being a mother and leading a turnaround of such a large company? How, how are you balancing all of that? And I'm curious how that how you manage all of it. Well, the the turnaround part is is okay because actually I operate really well in a hot mess. So, <laughs> so <laughs> you know, all of my past uh, jobs, I've I've shown up and it's been some inflection point for that organization, right? Whether they're opening up an adjacency, opening up a new market, you know, undergoing a plat- a replatforming and you know a relaunch, so to speak. Um, and I love that. So that's actually where I get excited and where I love to to operate. I'd say as a working mom, um, I feel really lucky. I have two great kids. I have a very supportive spouse. Uh, I have a lot of flexibility because Evernote uh, really has been at the leading edge of a lot of the return to office policies. Like we started a work from anywhere policy almost two years ago, right after COVID. We just made it formal. Uh, we are actually uh, reimagining all of our office space as well. And so uh, I can work from home if I need to and if I want to. Um, I think the, the biggest hurdle throughout this has just been, you know, making sure that I'm I'm aware of how everybody else is handling things, right? Mm-hmm. COVID hit so many different people differently. You know, some families had really young children home 100% of the time. Others like mine may have had older kids who were more self-sufficient. Um, uh, and so it was less disruptive. And I think the biggest the biggest change I made personally is I... Um, I started to parent out loud, which is a term I had heard from the CEO of Grokker, uh, whom I used to work with at eBay. And, you know, this idea that women historically have felt the need to apologize more and to explain why they might be away from the office, especially if it had to do with childcare or their families. And, you know, I make it known. Oh yes, I'm, I'll be out of the office from three to four thirty today because I need to go see my son play his basketball game. Um, that's okay if your leader is doing it. It's probably more okay. We're, we've become very, very flexible, very, very resilient around different schedules. We do ask that when you're at the office and you are working, that you give us a hundred percent as you can, and as you move away and, and you know take a little time here or there, do what you can. Great. It's worked out very, very nicely. Um, and I think that kind of idea around just be more sensitive to how somebody else may be handling their day um, is always in the forefront for me. Yeah. How do you do those check-ins maybe with your, your team members or even a family without being 
overbearing? You know, maybe not everyone's really open to, to sharing that or being checked in with, but how do you do that? Well, I mean, certainly there's different levels of of openness in terms of what's mm-hmm. going on in your in your family life. One of the things that I did with my own leadership team is we pulled together a um, a list of all of the people that work in marketing, um, and we every week we have a, a a swapping set, and I reach out to about uh, three to five people on the broader team every single week. Um, it could be in uh. Slack. It could be an email. It could be that I have a meeting with them already. And I just touch base with them. In fact, I did that with two people today. Um, and so every week, most of our people are getting at least like an outreach. How you doing? Everything going all right? From one of the more senior people in the company. And um, so far, it seems like it's been well-received. I certainly haven't had anyone ask me to stop talking to them. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I'm, I imagine it means a lot to your team members as well. Just seeing yeah. someone from leadership is checking in. Yeah, I, I hope it does because it means a lot to me, actually. It it really mm-hmm. has been a nice way for me to stay connected. And there's no reason, I mean, we're, our offices are open again. People can go back into the office. You know, we're, we're having gatherings again, um, but I still do it and my team still does it. And so it's probably something I'll maintain for quite some time. Yeah, that's great. I think that's a, a great place to wrap it up there. Um, maybe... A couple quick questions before we jump in and you can feel free to answer with one sentence. So what's the been the most impactful piece of advice you've been given? Mm. That one's easy. Uh, I think it's really important that women have um, mentors in every one of their roles. So um, obviously having a female mentor would be fantastic, but in today's age, especially in tech, you need to also have a male mentor. And when I was first being offered my first GM role, uh, I had lunch with my male mentor and I said, oh my God, I am so not prepared for a GM role. And he was like, it's okay, right? Here's how you know you can think about it and here's how you can grow and you know, talk me through it. And I think it's much more of that male, female mindset that there've yeah. been a lot of studies on that women often think they're underqualified and men often mm-hmm. think they're overqualified. Um, and then I had lunch with my female mentor who I actually work with now at Evernote. And um, she listened to everything that I had to say. And then she just looked at me and she said, so that's fine, but we don't have enough women leaders. So you simply have to take this. <laughs> and I just thought, Wow, talk about boiling it down. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, that's it. That was great. So that was it. Is like go out, ask your friends, but in in the end, probably you just need to do it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. With when this self-doubt happens that you should probably just commit and do it. It seems like. Yeah. And yeah. it was great. It was a fantastic experience for me. Yeah. And then uh, last question here is, uh, this would be pretty easy. What's the best place to, for people to find you on the internet? Um, <laughs> LinkedIn, probably. Um, and that is because as part of my own 
policy of keeping a balance between work and life. My own social media is mostly reserved for my friends and family. So I have on Instagram, et cetera. So uh, I'm not out there making a name for myself as a marketer that way. I'd rather let my team do that and let the brand of Evernote do that. So LinkedIn, feel free to reach out. No problem. I love it. LinkedIn. All right. Thank you so much for your time, Michelle. I really enjoyed this conversation with you. It was great to chat with you. Thank you so much, David, for including me.